0: Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant,
1: necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life.
0: Coaches, welcome in to episode 35, the Shadeja Green of Old Dominion University, 2009-2010, Shadeja Green number 35 episode. And I think, Kyle, you have a shout out as well here for episode 35. Yeah, if we're going to go
1: alumnus uh, number episode here, I'm going to go with uh, number 35, Tamika Jackson, one of the best lady texters to ever lace them up.
0: There we go. I love it. I love it. Giving some shout outs to our, our women's basketball fam out there. Um, man, that was it was pretty cool to look back in some of those uh old rosters and try to figure out who the best to wear at 35 at our alma maters was. Um and Shadesia was a beast from Patterson, New Jersey. That kid could hoop. Um yeah. But uh today I think a, a little bit different episode. And before we get started on that, just want to shout out all of our new listeners. I think at last count, we were in 36 states and we added like 12 new countries, um, which is just super cool. Like when we go back into the analytics um and see who we've added and where they're listening from, I mean, countries I never thought would listen to us. Like we have like Mali, um, Nigeria, several African countries actually just jumped onto the board. Um, Kenya, which is you know, that's where my mom was born and where our guy Moses is. So I'm hopeful that you know Moses is spreading some of that love out there for uh for the pod. But yeah, just thank you to all the new listeners, all the returning listeners. Um very, very grateful that we have been able to do this now for 35 weeks or it's kind of like 36, 37 weeks with the special episodes, but regardless. Being able to have these conversations, have sort of these genuine conversations. I think today you're going to see that this is a very genuine conversation um, and ask a lot of questions and get a lot of great feedback. Um, Kyle, I think it's probably every week you and I get a text from somebody um, just about their takeaways from the pod, whether they agree, whether they disagree, how they're operationalizing some of it. So, you know, heard from a couple coaches about how they are trying to take those evaluations and do them sort of weekly. And then it just becomes the next conversation. I think that's where like that exponential generational change can really come from because if we're modeling maybe different behaviors or, or thinking of things in a new way and modeling that for our athletes, when, and if they become coaches or educators or leaders in whatever they do, it's very possible that they take that with them. And then that becomes something that affects future generations of people. So uh, very, very grateful for the audience and the people that, That continue to stick with us here at episode 35.
1: Yeah. Thank you to everybody. And again, cool going back and looking over, um, you know, where people are picking up the podcast and we don't really know exactly how everybody stumbles on it. Um, but yeah, definitely a big shout out to Moses there. I think he's, he's been big and helping share some of that message, um, you know, in Kenya and across Africa and the, the work that, um, Kip, our buddy Kip did um, and getting some things over to Moses and a real cool video that we shared on Twitter. Um, so again, that's the, that's the exponential generational change that you're trying to, you know, uh, create, you know, through what we do here. And um, so if you're, you're finding this for the first time, you know, 30 something, 37 or so episodes in, we appreciate you. And if you've happened to, you know, been one of the two or three people that's gets all 37 of them, then we obviously appreciate you too. Um, But yeah, I think the, the evaluation episodes over the last couple of weeks have been pretty timely as people are wrapping up their seasons. And then as you and I were talking and, and, you know, people out there listening, will probably hear this in our voices. I I think I sound tired. (laughs) I think I sound a little run down. I sound like, you know, I'm at the end of a, a long season, um, and you know, I think this is where a lot of people are right now. A lot of a lot of high schools have wrapped up their seasons. Most colleges have, and we're obviously in the midst of March Madness right now. Uh, if you're a basketball coach, if you're a football coach, or or a, a fall volleyball coach, or fall softball, or someone like that, then you've already kind of been through this period, and, and you're probably back on the upswing, looking forward to, you know, in, in, your preparations for your next season. And for our spring coaches out there, you'll be hitting this spot in a couple of months, and. You know, we talk a lot about um, kind of the coach speak version of that "quote unquote" grind, and how the season doesn't have to be a grind, and how we we essentially pile a lot of that on ourselves. It's a it's it's very self inflicted. Um, but there's definitely no denying that our schedules are busy, and that there is a lot of work to be done. Um, and you as and I have both been assistants and head coaches, um, and now I'm getting to see things from a completely different light in more of uh, an administrative like support staff role uh, in what I do now. And what has been extremely telling uh, for me is that I I don't have really an off season. I I go from one thing to the next. So I've technically been in season since about mid August um, through the start of our women's soccer season, and then had a, a cross country season in between soccer and football and then went straight into women's basketball. And then in January, picked up indoor track. Indoor track ended about mid to late February and outdoor track started last weekend. And so just some context of, of what my last couple of weeks have been like the last three weeks, I think it was, I counted, I was on the road for 12 out of 18 days. So I was in from Rustin to Miami, Florida to Boca Raton, back to Ruston and then went to Frisco for a couple of days after being home for about 36 hours. Packed the same bag, went to Frisco, came back, and then we were on the road to Fayetteville for the WNIT for that opening round. And then came back and then got back to Rustin at 245 in the afternoon. And a track meets, home track meet started at three o'clock. So got home just in time to go shower, change, get up to track, and that was a two-day event. So on the road for 12 out of 18 days had those, um, five different events that covered, uh, six different days. And then just all the work that kind of goes in between all of that. And just outside of the work, the toll that that kind of travel takes on you. I think it was like four flights, six or seven bus rides, a car ride. And these things, you know, these travel days are not short, you know, they're 12 hour travel days to my, to get from Ruston to Miami, um, you know, a, a six, seven hour car ride from Fayetteville back to, to Louisiana and it is very challenging. It's very, very difficult. That's obviously um, part of it. That's part of that quote unquote grind. Like the schedule is what the schedule is and the workload that comes with it is the workload. And then you finally get through all of that. And then on Sunday, you know, you gotta be dad. You gotta be husband. You know, Kendall wants to play. Um, and so you're just trying to survive in those moments. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about in, in this reflection and, and awareness piece, we get to the point where we've kind of we kind of understand what's coming and we know what we need to do, but it's a completely different uh, task to actually make the conscious decision to do it. And I think there's a, a, you know sort of this period of when your season ends, a great question to ask is like how much time do you give yourself to kind of reflect on the last season before we start venturing into next season and all the all the work that has to get done to continue moving on. But how are we prioritizing that rest and recovery? And one of the first things that I think about, because I I did it when our soccer season ended, I was like, okay, I'm already like, it's November, 1st of November, and I'm already like February tired in November. All right, so if I'm already February tired in November, what is February going to feel like? And then we're going to limp into March. What is that going to feel like? And then knowing that we've got to go straight into track and baseball and these other things, that it doesn't really stop one of the, the thoughts that like immediately comes to me is like, okay, what could I have done differently? And I, I know what those things are. Like we talk about prioritizing rest, health, recovery. I need to work out more. I need to sleep better. I need to eat better, which is a really difficult thing to do on the road. Like we eat with our athletes. I am not an athlete anymore, but I am eating like an athlete. When you eat like an athlete and you are not an athlete, That can get out of hand really fast and it can be very difficult, but it's food there all the time. Like, how do you say no? And then you win and you want to celebrate with ice cream and cheesecake. And it's, it's difficult to make those like in the moment decisions, but at the same time, like turn the computer off and go to bed, Mm -hmm. turn the, turn the computer off and just take 30 minutes and like close your eyes while you're on the bus or you're on the plane. Like take that because those moments can add up too, I think. And then, all right, I've got, I finally have like an hour and a half of downtime before we leave for a shoot around or a game or whatever. Am I going to lay in the bed or am I going to go work out? Am I going to move my body? And I know that I'm tired and I need to rest. Like yesterday, I I worked from home. I know I needed to work out. I know I wanted, I needed to move my body and I would feel better if I did that. I was so tired. I I ended up not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And so like in the moment that felt good, but today I feel even groggier. Um, because I didn't do that stuff, and so I think it's just again I, I don't really know where this episode is going to go, but I think it can hit home for some people because it's just you and me talking about like how we feel right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm tired. I'm 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 exhausted, and I'm exhausted from work, but I also have like the, the social aspect and the family aspect that you've got to be on for, um, and then the work doesn't stop. So um, you know that's just kind of where I'm at right now. I'm kind of curious you were sick a few weeks ago like you kind of hit this mm-hmm. uh cycle a little before I did and and you were able to kind of muscle through a, a couple of podcast episodes and now I feel like it's my turn this is this is my flu game that I've got to have <laughs> uh, you you had you yeah. you so eloquently and brilliantly nailed yours a couple of weeks ago so I'm just kind of curious where um
0: where you are right now yeah no i mean for first off like i think the evolution of what sort of we have put to paper and sort of things that we've committed to in terms of like our thought processes about rest and recovery and all of that stuff. Like this is why these conversations are so valuable because I think it's easy for us to talk about it, but then it's very hard for us to practice it. And which is why we always say like, we're not experts. We're not those people that are like giving you some sort of prescription of, you know, take two and call me in the morning. It is far easier to, to just say like, no, nah, I'll do it later. Right. Like, no, I want, you know, half an hour more of sleep today. I don't want to go and take the dog for a walk right now. It's too cold outside. we can going to find a million and a half different excuses of like why we're not doing things because it is exhausting. And I think what's the most exhausting part, and you alluded to this was the various different things that we all have to be on for. I think when you choose coaching, when you choose teaching, when you choose any of these like people facing professions, it's very difficult to escape that part of it where you're, you're pretty much constantly people facing and as much of an extrovert as I am, like I have found that my social battery gets drained faster and faster and faster. And so, you know, to sort of harken back to what you said, like I went through a period this season where I had COVID and I was out for my 10 days and I should have been out for my 10 days. Like when I went to the doctor, not too many people know this, but when I went to the doctor, um, after a few days of just feeling awful, like fever chills the whole nine, um, she asked me, she's like, Did you drive yourself here? I said, Yeah. And she said, You shouldn't have, because your resting heart rate is 140 and you have a 102 fever how long has this been going on? I said, it's been going on for about four and a half days. And she said, if you don't get, if your fever and stuff doesn't break by Sunday, so this was on a Friday, uh, we're going to have to admit you to the hospital. So you go from that 10 days out, come back, you know, be present for practice and a few games. And then, you know, I got sick again. Right. Because I didn't give my body and my mind enough time to just recover. So I like missed the last week of the season. And like, you know, it's been probably close to six, six ish weeks where that feeling that you're describing is now starting to finally go away of just the exhaustion and like feeling just run down. And I think coaches like we as a as a whole. And Tobin Anderson talked about like wanting to go fishing and all of this stuff and like kudos to Tobin Anderson for thinking he's going to be able to do that with his new job at Iona. Like he might have six hours between cleaning out at FDU and like starting at Iona to go fishing. But like, I think those are things that aspirationally we know are probably good for us, right? Exercising, eating right, going fishing, hanging out with the family, stuff like that. But there's also an element of just like, I want to be by myself. I don't want to, you know, be around people. I don't want to do anything but just be by myself Um, because it does. It becomes exhausting. Like it becomes something where like, you know, people are constantly needing you. And when you need something, it's very rare that you're just going to get it right without, you know, you have to go through a certain number of asks and things like that. It's like nobody really checks on you. Um, they just more need things from you and i think that is hard too when you're trying to recharge yourself and like it's this whole idea of like you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah, you can't pour from an empty cup, but like there is an element of people continuing to empty it because we're not advocating for ourselves either. Yeah, i think it's two ways, right? Like we have to advocate for
1: ourselves, but then we we're hoping that other people around us recognize that we need the time to recharge and refill. Um, And again, a lot of that's going to be contextually contingent on what it is you do. Um, You know, if, if you're, you know, supporting multiple people in multiple departments and you've got more folks going on around you, then like, yeah, you're going to have more asked of you from those things. Um, And again, not, not just inside of work, but outside of work as well. And the, the thought that always hits me again, like what, as soon as this is over with is I can immediately think of, you know, eight, nine, 10 times where I'm like, okay, I could have done this. How would I have felt if I did that? If I would have let those, you know, 20 minute little periods of rest or like that extra workout or that, you know, time getting away and maybe reading a book or just shutting my brain off all, you know, altogether, doing some breath work, doing some meditation, doing some yoga, whatever. Like I've at least gotten to a point where I know what is good for me and I know what can help. Like, I know that breath work is good for me. I know that yoga is good for me. I know that reading is good for me, but again, like in the moment, it can be extremely difficult to just do those things. And I don't regret them after I do them, but it's hard to kind of find the activation energy to get it going. And I think you're right. Like as, as much as we enjoy people and being around people, it's, it's hard to get away from people sometimes but even in the moments when you finally do, it's like, what do I do with myself? You know, you can think yeah. of 10 different things. Like, okay, I never have the house to myself. Okay, well, wife and baby you are gone. Like, you finally have a Friday night to yourself. I could have told you a thousand things I wanted to do with a Friday night by myself until the Friday night by yourself comes and you're paralyzed. like, And you're in bed by eight o'clock. Yeah. Like, do like I,
0: wow, I never get to do this. Yeah.
1: Do I turn on Xbox? Do I watch a game? Do I go out? Do I sleep? Like you just, you don't really know. So you end up mm. sitting there for an hour and a half staring at yourself and you kind of <laughs> waste the opportunity to begin with, but uh, that's what I do anyway. Um, yeah. But I do, it, it, it is hard when, when you're wired like that, like how do you sort of shut that off? And then the other thing that I've found is that when I am able to shut it down, it's hard to turn it back on again. And that's so the hardest some, part. Yeah, yeah. I think it's in some ways it's easier to never really fully shut down and kind of keep the engine humming, at least in the background, because then you can kind of get back going again. And again, this is all just through experience and Mm -hmm. and you know going through this and reflecting on this stuff and thinking about how you feel. And maybe some people are more attuned to these things, you know, within themselves and internally than than others. And if you haven't taken a moment to think about this then, you know, I would suggest that you, you do, um, and just kind of think about or ask other people, you know, kind of get, get their perspective of how you've been. Cause that's where, that's where a wife could be really beneficial. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, you're being this way, or, Hey, I've noticed you're getting to this point. And the last three times you got to this point, you were useless for a week because you mm-hmm. had to shut it down and cave in. And so maybe we should, you know, be a little bit more mindful before we get to that edge and we can't kind of bring it back. and. Um, again, that, that just, I I think those things kind of come with time, but I say that to say this, if we're not taking those experiences and lessons and learning from them and getting better then you know, we're, I feel like we're missing out in a lot of ways that we need to, to utilize that. Cause again, we, as, as the adult in the room or as the leader in the room or the boss or whoever, we're sort of telling other people that they need to be doing this stuff Mm -hmm. too, and this is a great opportunity to model it for you. But, um, you know, as, as, as two people that worked in education for quite a bit of time, like you don't take sick days, like mm-hmm. you don't, you don't request a sub in public education. Like it's just, even if you can, like it's legally your right to do it. You just mm-hmm. don't do it. And in some ways yeah. it creates more work for you
0: than not being there. You it sound just, just, just like there. my wife. Because yeah. she, she's going through the same thing, right? She's like burnt out. She's tired. She's like, I can't wait for the next break. I'm like, just take the day off, right? And I forget how hard it was where we both worked to take a day off. You know, luckily in my in my first teaching job, we had like kind of an abundance of subs because we were a big county. So we had 32 high schools in the county. Like there were, I wouldn't say plenty of subs. I think there's a nationwide sub shortage, but it was not impossible to get a sub. Right. But in the second district I worked in this, the district only had like 2,500 kids, my school that I worked at my first teaching job, or I guess my, my main for like my second teaching job, the school had 2,500 kids. Right. Mm. So there's a big difference. And we had like two building subs every day and that was it, you know? So like taking a day off, like you didn't want to put your coworkers out and like you felt bad and this, that, and the other. And so my wife always says, she's like, no, it's harder for me to make sub plans than it is to just go in when i don't feel well and i'm like man did we learn nothing from the pandemic like are we are we that like it's not her fault right i think that that is culturally a thing in work culture of like nah it's just easier for me to go in because i don't want to have to deal with telling somebody else what they have to do and like managing the the disaster that is going to be my classroom when i come back because things Mm -hmm. aren't going to be the way i like them to be um you know i it's yeah i mean and there's also like coaches can't necessarily like put in for a sub you know like you just you got to be there and you have to be present and you have to do all of those things but i think like you know as you were talking and i'm going to throw this question to you like is there an element of this being like a competition with other coaches in our departments, with other coaches in our sports, or like our colleagues, our counterparts of like, yeah, I know our season just ended, but I, now I have to be out there recruiting because, you know, XYZ University is going to get the jump on us if I if we're not doing it right away. You know, I think there's some of that. I'm curious what you think about that, especially from a non-coaching, but like specialty staff perspective where you don't really have a choice because you have to move from season to season. When coaches have a choice and they intentionally work against their own best interests in terms of like wanting to compete with other coaches, I feel like that right there is somewhat of a like you sort of reap what you sow type thing in that situation. Yeah, but we we sort of aggrandize this stuff
1: anyway. So like I, I haven't I didn't get to watch much of the tournament, the men's or the women's, the first couple of days being on the road, but I was able to catch some Sunday and, and caught some last night. And you know, most of the time these these TV announcers and sideline reporters, like, you know, they'll do a little game note section on on something and you know, trying to talk about players or coaches or whatever, and invariably you hear like, the coach's schedule, like how much they work, you know, this coach does X, Y, and Z, and they haven't had a day off in 45 days, you know, or they go on vacation and they still have to work. And like, they give their family 20 minutes when they get home, but then they got to get back into the office and that stuff, just every time I feel like that stuff is said out loud, we move further away from the, you know, from the, the inverse of that. And it becomes that much harder to get back to what most people would probably consider normal. Um, but in the coaching profession, that isn't the norm. And there, there, there is that mentality of the grind or the no days off. And that if, if you're not, you know, out there, somebody else is and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, you're only as good as what you have. You can only bring as as much as you have, and you do have to kind of find the balance in the tightrope. But it's not to say that you need to not do anything and be lazy or whatever. But I don't, I don't think most people in the profession are are lazy. I think they want to work. They want to they want to do well. They're competitive, and you certainly understand, like that side of it. But I also think you and I could agree, just sort of very very speaking, very very broadly and generally here that we as a profession could be a lot better Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, right? Like, I think we could all agree on that. Okay. Well, what's one of the ways that we can get better. It's if we showed up better every day. And the only way to do that is to take the time to shut it down uh, and, and not overstretch or overexert ourselves. And then there's, there's probably deeper conversations to be had about, you know, trusting and leaning on your staff more, but the more you're going to lean on your staff the more they're 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 getting stretched in. and so then do they have the capability and ability to walk up to you and say hey I need some time mm-hmm. and I just feel like there is so much like inherent peer pressure to not do that right because potentially even within your own department or within your own staff you're competing with people mm-hmm. to grind and get ahead because you're both up for a promotion or you know somebody's going to get like go at the end of the year and it's not going to be me um and so that becomes an issue. And then when you finally do take the time to, you know, take a day off. And I know that I I feel this way a lot of times is that you, you feel a little guilty that you are Mm -hmm. to the point where you're not really resting and enjoying it. It's not really worth it. And like you said, you're better off just going in. Like if I'm sick, but I I would rather go into class sick and just sit there and not teach, than hope that a sub doesn't come in and like undo all the work that we've done over the course of the year. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it can be difficult. And I think that's where, if you were in a position of leadership, one of the best things you can do for your, for yourself, but for your staff is to truly value them getting their time to be themselves and don't put, you know, pressure on them to get back faster or make them feel guilty for taking that time off or anything like that. Like, yeah, take the time you need, blah, blah, blah. And, In my role now, like I can, you know, I can work from home and do those kinds of things. I don't have 25 kids in a classroom that are counting Mm -hmm. on me and expecting things from me every day or, you know, 15 in a gym. So it's, again, it's a little bit different, but even still, like you have things that need to get done, even on an off day, you're not off. You're constantly on. You never know when the phone's going to ring. I got two phones. I never know when one of them's going to ring or or I'm going to get a text message. And then on those two phones are email accounts and then right. you get dms through social media and then you have phone calls and text messages and you just don't know and so again it's it's difficult to completely shut down because you can't, i mean in some respects it's you can't because you don't know when something's going to come up and maybe some of the requests that you get or some of the little tasks they're not um you know 100% urgent in that moment yeah um, but they feel like they have are. Yeah, hey, well, if you have any kind of anxiety in your life, yeah. you're like, well, let me just go ahead and do it now because I don't right. want to I don't want to think about it on my off day. Let me just <laughs> knock out these three right. or four small tasks. And then those three or four small tasks take up your whole morning and then you've mm-hmm. wasted half of your day. And so you just you get into this perpetual cycle over and over and over again. And it's no wonder that, you know, we we get to where we are and then a lot of these industries are burnt out or you know, we're not our best versions of ourselves. And so then we, it feels like almost every episode we, we tie all this stuff back to like kids going into the portal. Well, Mm -hmm. okay, well, if their experience is not great because you're not giving them your best versions of yourselves. And it's no wonder that that kind of stuff just keeps perpetuating itself. And, and it's, it's over and over and over and over and over again. And then we think, okay, well, next year it'll be different because I've learned my lesson and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z leading up to the season. And I'm going to do X, Y, and Z during the season. And right at the end of the season, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z all over again. And then we're, you know, again, we're, we're faced with that decision in the moment. And it, it just becomes, feels like every year it's a little harder, um, you know, to actually follow through with.
0: Well, I think that's some of that like stoic discipline that we've talked about before. Like that's all well and good, but it's very, very difficult to do. Right. Like, I think it's very difficult to put that into practice and say, like, I'm going to, you know, schedule out every second of my day and include like scheduling my rest. And like you talked about the, you know, them talking about coaches schedules and like, you know, coach goes home for 20 minutes and they make sure they have their family time for 20 minutes. And it's like, all right, well. In the grand scheme of things, 20 minutes out of 24 hours for your family is like a very, very low percentage. I'm not going to do, I don't have the ability to do the math right now, but like that's not a lot, you know, and like we talked about practice being 11 percent of, of your time. So like guesstimating, it's probably like 2 percent or 3 percent of your day you're spending with your family. That's that proportion seems to be a little bit off. Um but one thing when you were talking, it sort of reminded me of the chat that we did this past a couple, what, yesterday, the 20th of March. Um, you know, this idea of like being where your feet are. And you and I sort of laugh at some of these coach speak things, but I think there might be like an alternate meaning to this phrase that maybe hasn't been associated with this topic that we're talking about here and sort of just this conversation of like how we feel right now be where your feet are is kind of one of those phrases that's like you know be in the job that you're in right now and like just be present and whatever all right but that also extends to be where your feet are like in your own space and getting your own rest and being where my feet are like my feet right now are at home, I'm going to be at home. When my feet are at the office, I'm going to be at the office. But we tend to blend those two things together. And I think that's what becomes exhausting is when the line is no longer like delineated of, all right, now I am at work. I am, my feet are at work. My tasks that are at hand are are what I have in front of me. And then when it bleeds over into home and when those two things don't like, they don't mix, they're sort of like oil and water. And the pandemic sort of showed us like, yo, most of the things we do can be done from home. So now we all have our like fancy home office setups, right? Whereas before it was like, no, like you just go to the office and you do it. Um, And so I think like being where your feet are, I more attribute that phrase to like, choosing what you want to do when you want to do it because the lines have been blurred and so if I am going to spend time with my wife and my dog or if we're going to go do something or if, like I'm not sitting there scrolling looking at my email too you know like if I'm going to be where my feet are then I'm going to be where my feet are but that means that I get to make the choice of like tuning out whatever distractions might come from some other piece of life that can probably wait. And I even take it a step further than that, like in my own mind, if I get an email that's like quasi urgent, unless that person like, I'll put it this way, like, I think that if you're going to, if you have the time to send an email about it, you can also pick up the phone and call me about it if it's that urgent. Because I don't think there are very many things unless they're like dire student needs or like you know, a scheduling thing or like something that has a hard deadline that we got to get something submitted or whatever. I think we as a profession can be a lot more flexible with each other too. And that then allows us to breathe a little bit and not have to feel this way all the time, or especially at the end of a season. And so when, you know, when we talk about like, what might you have done differently, or what are the, some of the things that you feel like you know, would have helped with, you know, feeling run down and being sick and all of that. I mean, like some of that you can't help. I can't help that I got COVID during the season, right? Like I wore a mask when we traveled, the whole thing, but like it is what it is. I think one of those things is like allowing flexibility and grace for myself not to rush into things and not to feel like everything's a five alarm fire because it's not. And so I think that's the spirit of the phrase. You know, be where your feet are. But we attribute that to, hey, be where your feet are, meaning like jump in with both feet, do everything at 150% and all of these other, like it's sort of like a gateway coach speak phrase to then like, you got to give 110% to all the things where your feet are, be a star in your role and blah, blah, blah. And like creates this intrinsic sort of competition where there doesn't really need to be that. Because at the end of the day, like most of the things that we need to do will get done. And, and I don't know how you feel about this. I think coaches are are awesome. And I'm like a number one at, at doing some of these things. Coaches are awesome at creating more work for themselves than actually needs to be done. And, you know, I, I laugh because Brian talks about like when he was a juco coach, he was like, I would spend six hours in the office. I got everything done and it was just me. So I don't know what these coaches are doing when they have like 19 people on their staff and they're there all day what do you have to do? You know, like I I don't have an answer for them. Right. But they are where their feet are and they are doing more than needs to be done to justify being there and having that staff. And then at the same token, coach burnouts burnout rates are really high. And then you see that that's being mirrored with kids quitting or kids entering the transfer portal and all of this stuff. And it's like, I don't know. I have sort of rambled here a little bit, but I think that that idea of like reframing be where your feet are and not weaponizing that into like, you got to stay blind to anything, but just like have tunnel vision on the path and like 110% this two feet that like, I think we can sort of reimagine what that phrase could mean for in a healthier way. Um, that then allows us to actually be where our feet are because how many coaches do you know get home and they're not where their feet are right we've both been guilty of it the best thing i ever did when i was a teacher was take my work email off my phone if you need me you can call me after work after school was done right i'm not responding to anything even when i was a head coach like as a high school head coach like Unless it was super urgent and the parent or the kid called or texted me, I'm not responding to your email until tomorrow because it'll still be there. But that was an intentional choice that sort of mirrored like this idea of being where your feet are. But by the end of every season, sinus infection, right? So, like, mm-hmm. even though you tried to do those things, it still catches up with you.
1: Well, I, th- I think the, the natural next question to that is like, if you can commit to being where your feet are, then it should be, well, are my feet where they need to be? Do my feet need to be where they are right now? And if you can commit yourself to like that, then like, okay, then I need to be more intentional about where I'm actually at. And if you are, two feet in 110% committed and all that kind of stuff. Then do we need to be there for as long as we typically are? Like if we do need to go into the office, but we can get everything done when we need to, and we're not creating unnecessary work and we're not just there to be there, then shouldn't we be able to leave our feet (laughs) and go somewhere else and actually put that energy where, you know, it's actually needed. Um, and again, like I think the easiest example here is just, is for your own families. You know, we talk about family this and family that, but then we have actual families who don't get us when, you know, we are, our feet are actually in our homes um, or when our feet are in the office and they need to be at home. And again, I, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. I get that. I mean, like you said, we're guilty of these things year in and year out, but I think it's part of our growth is to recognize it and have the conversation around it. And recognize where we, you know, potentially fall short and, and, you know, try to actively work on that. So next time next year, you know, we're a little bit better at it. And are we going to be perfect? No, it's not to say that, you know, emergencies don't happen and that kind of stuff, like things like that do happen, but we're not reserving ourselves for those emergencies. We're like you said, where everything is becoming an emergency. We're so accessible now everybody is so accessible now that everything needs to get done in the moment, right Mm -hmm. then, right there. And again, like for me, I'm not one that wants to have like six or seven little things on to do it. I'll just knock them out. Like Mm -hmm. sort of the Dave Ramsey method. Like just let me, let me snowball these things and take out all the small fires and I'll worry about the big one next time. Cause I'd rather mentally for me, that's, that's a lot um, less clutter, Mm -hmm. but those little tasks pop up all the time. And so you're constantly putting out those little fires here and there. And and for me, it, it semi works, um, but I'm not going to say it's perfect um, and it doesn't work all the time. And it definitely can catch up with you, especially when you're trying to do so many, um, you know, different, different things. And then, you know, we have, we have jobs, we have families, but we also have, we have essential coaching. We have the podcast. I like making graphics for people we have playmakers like we have a lot of irons in the fire as it were mm-hmm. um, and so it becomes even more crucial to manage all of that stuff so when it is time to get on with a, a playmaker prospect you know and 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 talk about that then i need to be focused on that when it's time to be creative and make something for somebody like i can do that but then when you know here in a couple hours when it's time to go pick up kindle and it's time to knock out some first grade homework then i need to be there to mm-hmm. do that too um and again it's 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 much easier said than done i feel like but i also think that we make it a lot harder on ourselves than we necessarily need to
0: yeah i mean i think this is part of our uh, you know this episode hopefully has short sort of like given y'all as the listeners a little bit of insight into like us owning our own vulnerability and like sharing how we feel at the end of the season and like sort of moving into the next thing. And, um, you know, it, it is, a lot of it is created out of a false necessity for having something to do. And I don't know like who said this, but this idea of just stillness and you know, I'm sure there's a quote that's associated with it or something like that, but under understandably, like, I think stillness is one of the hardest things to do. And we tend to take stillness as sort of the awkward pause in a conversation. Whereas when you talk about, and this is way back, throwback to the rest and recoveries um, series that we did, but like the rest is music too. Hmm. And so I would even say further than just the rest being music, like stillness is not an awkward pause. Like it's okay to stop. And yeah, the activation energy it takes to get back into it is a lot. Like I'm feeling that piece right now with getting back into, you know, whatever's next, but like. I think what's harder is trying to manufacture activation energy when you don't have any as opposed to just coming to that stop and being still for a minute and just like really seeing kind of where are my feet? Am I dangling over a cliff and I don't even know it? You know, like and really taking stock of where you are and like what's going on around you. Because I think that piece of self-awareness, we as coaches tend to lack because we are so locked in. Uh, We are so sort of like tunnel vision on, okay, we got the next scout, we got the next game, we got the next practice, we got this, we got that, we got... And it's like a lot of that is manufactured anxiety in the first place. And I think this is what we've also found in talking with our EC fam over the last several years is like everybody sort of deals with that in their own way. And we're all sort of fighting those same fights. But when we reframe what it could mean to be like a really productive yet balanced coach and sort of that holistic development of like the human component, you have to take care of your human component first. Um, That's where we, we've found, like we've heard from several of our, our coaches, like, Hey, I did take a break this weekend. I didn't go out to this event to watch this one kid that's on, you know, in my eighth grade program, like I stayed home and I played with my kids or like, I just took some time for myself and like, I think we advocate for that for our student athletes because it's sort of the buzzwordy right thing to do to like help them with their mental health and say, hey, take time for you. Like, what have you done for yourself lately? But then as soon as you ask a coach that question, they're like, oh, well, I can't like everybody's relying on me. It's like, no, like nobody can rely on you if you can't rely on you. So what are you doing for yourself? And I don't think that that's a selfish way to look at things. I think that's a self-interested way to look at things. And it's in your self-interest to take care of you so that you can help take care of other people who are relying on you. And I think any coach who is vilified for taking the time for themselves or they feel some sort of guilt for like, no, I need to get right with me first before I can help anybody else. Like to me, I think that's sort of like false Guilt, but I mean, I understand where it comes from because believe me, I feel it all the time. Um, but there is a balance to that, I think. Like, you know, and as I've gotten older, and I say that like I'm, you know, in my 60s, like as I've gotten older, I've found that I cannot be at my best unless certain things are happening, right? Unless I am well rested. That's number one. Like if I'm not getting sleep, I don't, nobody wants to be around me. I just know, I know that about myself, right? If I'm dehydrated, like I can feel it, I can feel it coming and like, you know, not a sponsor, but liquid IV, if you want to be a sponsor, like I pound that stuff like every morning, that's how I start my day. Right. I've started taking, like creating some anti-inflammatory, um, Pari, one of our, our buddies, who's the tennis coach, the wins tennis coach at Brandeis he calls it dragon juice. And, it, you know, we make it at home and like, you take probably like 60 mils of it every day just to start the day. It's like an anti-inflammatory. It wakes you up a little bit. And like, I've found that those things make me feel better. And then I'm more focused and I can actually be where my feet are to help people and to be a part of something bigger than myself. And I think it's like a false equivalence to say, like, you have to throw yourself sort of at the mercy of life as a coach and and like whatever happens happens you know that's part of stacking the deck in just a different way i don't know if you you know you feel the same about that but like there are certain for me certain things that are for lack of a better word maybe triggers of like i know when i'm not going to be at my best so now i know i need to take a step back and i feel confident and secure enough to be able to do that but i think it becomes really difficult when it's in the middle of a season yeah, well, you you mentioned, you know, that
1: we we take on this responsibility that people are relying on us, right? Which is a very sort of selfless, you know, servant type of viewpoint, which is great. But I also think that that it it pays to sort of think of that, like, okay, people are relying on me today, and I can give them what they need now, but these same people might be relying on me a year from now you know, my family is going to be relying on me for hopefully, you know, 30, 40 years. Right. So yes, I'm in a position for them to count on me now, but can you still count on me in six months? Can you still count on me a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, so on and so forth. And if the answer to that is no, then like, what good are you right now? And I think if we truly wanted to be, um, you know, Altruistic, selfless servants. If those things actually exist, then there is a natural part of that that means that we have to make sure we are available. So here's another little coach speak thing for you that coaches will tell their players: Your best ability is your availability. Okay. Well, you as you know, somebody in the household as a as a parent, like your best ability is your availability to your kids, to your family. You as the boss or the 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 head of a department, your best ability is your availability. So that doesn't mean that you have to 100% be available all the time where they can't be reached. But if you are physically broken down to the point where you can't function, then you're no longer available. And so going through that maintenance time that the rest is music to taking the time to, you know, take care of yourself, I mean, is becomes vastly, vastly important. So if we really truly do care about being the person that somebody is relying on then think of yourselves as, as that person, you know, down the road. And at the beginning of the season, my team can count on me because I'm here. Will my team be able to count on me just as much at the end of the season because I'll be just as present because I've done all the necessary work, you know, throughout the season to make sure that I'm just as strong then as I am right now. <laughs>